This is Masters in Travel, a rendezvous at the intersection of travel and business to accelerate your success. I'm your host, Whitney, owner of Undiscovered Sunsets. Each episode, we have one goal in mind, to share experiences, insights, and resources to help you maximize your potential. Masters in Travel is a podcast, community, and academy for travel advisors by travel advisors, and I'm so glad to have you join the conversation. Get ready to become a master in travel. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Masters in Travel. I'm your host, Whitney. Today's conversation comes from this month's Master Hour, a special coaching session that is hosted every month inside the Masters in Travel community and think tank. This is a monthly coaching call where community members can bring their questions and their ideas to a panel of experts for feedback. Each community member has 15 minutes to share with us their specific challenge, and then we talk it through together. To provide a diverse array of ideas and to bring in fresh perspectives, the panel changes each month to include two new experts. On the panel, you'll always find myself, a fellow community member, and an outside person, an expert in their own right, someone who knows and understands what it's like to be a service-based small business owner, but who may or may not be in the travel industry. Okay, let's dive into this month's Master Hour. I hope you enjoy the conversation and walk away with a few insights that you can apply in your own business. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this month's Master Hour. One of my favorite parts of our community and think tank is that we have advisors who are at all levels of being a travel advisor and as an entrepreneur. We have brand new advisors all the way up to the most veteran, most experienced advisors in the industry. And I really love the reciprocal learning opportunities that we have. So with that in mind, this month, I've invited two up-and-coming advisors to join me on the panel to answer a few questions. Julie Patterson is the owner of Wonderfully Planned. Julie, welcome. Thanks, Whitney. And Madeline is the co-founder of Super Travel Group. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Whitney. As I was saying, it, I was like, I know it. It's coming. Here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so our first question is from Rochelle. And I think it was really great timing because it's a very specific question for Maddie that Maddie has experience and can answer. So Rochelle, I'm going to turn it over to you to share with us your question. Maddie and Julie have seen your question in advance, but no one else knows your question. So please share that with us with a little bit of context. And then I'll hand it right over to Maddie to dive into sharing her insights. Yes. So, so Maddie, this is me only knowing a little bit about your business with your mom. I know that you're partners together. I'm starting to work with my husband and trying to figure out how to sort of divide and conquer kind of front of the house and back of the house. So I'm curious how you actually, like if you've structured your business in that way or do you and your mom, and what's her name? So I don't have to call her your mom. You can call her my mom too. That's fine. Her (laughs) name's Kristen. (laughs) I mean, do you both do sales? Do you both do, and like just trying to figure out how you master sort of your strong suits and how you've kind of navigated that. So that's my first question. So maybe we start with that and then I'll ask you the second one. Okay. So I will say how we started is not where we are now. At the beginning in March of 2020, we sat down and we were both of this mindset. I was going to have my clients. She was going to have hers. We were going to kind of operate under this umbrella company. And we really thought Kristen is going to speak to her client segment market and I'm going to speak to mine. And it's great because they're two separate, you know, markets. I will say as we kind of worked through our first year, it wasn't scalable and it wasn't scalable for subtle reasons, like not super obvious. She would spend hours and hours entering things on itinerary platforms that I could do in an hour and vice versa. 
I was having a hard time closing some of our smaller, like, or not smaller, but slower trips. I'm kind of an intense personality. And so my boom, boom mentality just wasn't closing that trip. So we sat down and we had kind of like a a huddle, a team huddle. And we were like, what do you really enjoy doing? And what are you really good at? And what do I really enjoy doing? And what am I good at? And where is the line or the differentiator between who takes what? And then we kept the philosophy of a lead. So like I will lead a certain trip and then she's kind of on backup and then vice versa for her trips. But when it comes to things like airfare, analytics, entering into itineraries, which we're now slowly kind of farming out to a VA, sales and onboarding, those are all things I really enjoyed and I was really good at. And then she's like, you give her a formula and she is amazing. So she does all of our insurance, that kind of thing. And we had a lot of success with that. And then we transitioned to, we did a a strengths coaching program. So very simple. They sat down, they did like a Clifton strengths assessment of what she's really good at and her communication style and what I'm really good at and my communication style. And then we kind of use that as another way to level up our relationship. I think the most helpful thing we have just agreed is that we do not have to operate like normal coworkers because we're not normal coworkers. It's good to have boundaries, but it's also okay to be like, I can have a moment and be myself. That's part of the benefit of having that really close relationship or that, that husband, wife or mother, daughter, whatever it is. And to, to lean into it, to accept that there are pros and cons to that relationship. And ever since we've done that, I feel like we've gotten a little bit better. We try to be respectful. We try to do no name calling, like you said earlier, but you know, sometimes it's just like, mom, I I need 30 minutes. I need to go get a coffee. I've been on calls all morning. It's not your fault. But I wouldn't talk like that normally to a coworker. So yeah, I don't know if that's helpful, but it's just been kind of a slow evolving process and really playing to our strengths. Yeah, I think that understanding how to talk to another human being, because you know that we typically will, you know, abuse, I'll just say it in that way, like the person that we're closest to, like you wouldn't talk to someone else, a client like that. And I think that we're trying to learn that. I like your idea of the strengths coach. That's not anything... Like I have like a business sort of coach slash therapist, but I never really thought about doing that together. hundred percent. Okay. It changed the way we communicate. I mean, we were not, I'll be very honest with you all. We were not on a good path for a little bit. We were like talking past each other. We weren't, I was getting frustrated with her over things that like really weren't her fault and vice versa. And when I saw what her like strengths were, which is like context, she really likes to talk through things. I had this like light bulb of my, like, just get it done. Finish line mentality was really not conducive to her. She needed to talk through things. And so now if I don't have the bandwidth or the time, I will say something like, Hey, I know you need context. I know you need to talk through it. Can we talk through it in like two hours? Not right this very second. And it's really helped. It's helped get our mother daughter relationship back. If I'm being really honest. But yeah, I would highly recommend Clifton Strengths. There's also there's a couple ones out there, but that that one was really helpful for us. It sounds like the love languages. If any of you have ever done that, which is kind of cheesy, but it works. It works. You know, so, but it's understanding the processing. So Clifton, Clifton, Clifton Strengths. Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. I've done it. It's phenomenal. 
Like I haven't oh. done it in a team setting. And now that I'm thinking about it, I'm going to ask Maddie what, who they use because I want Alexander to do it. <laughs> but even just like going through it as an individual, it was like, Whitney, I think you've done it too. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You have the same experience, but it was like reading a horoscope where you're like, this me. I did have a great hair day yesterday. Like it was unreal. Another one that's been really impactful for me to better understand both myself and just people in my life, friends, coworkers, colleagues, my husband, the Enneagram. And so that's less entrepreneurial focus. That's more kind of personality focused. I don't think it's an either or. I think it could be an and. I think it could be interesting to do both. But understanding other people's Enneagrams helps me understand how they make decisions and what their fears are and what's behind a lot of their reactions or how they just make decisions, honestly. So that could be an interesting one to look into as well, just to learn more about each other. I think the other thing too, is to have an honest conversation about insecurities. When we both learned each other's insecurities, I, I try to be super mindful, even when we're like, I'm like, mom, why didn't, you know, what X, Y, and Z situation. When I think about it, I try not to hit on those, those pressure points and, and vice versa too, but I'm not hundred to hundred at it on that one. <laughs> I missed it. I'm like maybe 60, 40, just kidding. 70, 30. I think too, like not, not that we all have time to sit down and read an entire book, but there's a book called the five personality patterns by Steve Kessler. And it's basically about how people tend to act and react in their behaviors when they are overwhelmed. And I think in a business setting, especially, you know, if you're learning the dynamic of your husband working for you for the first time and working together, there's probably a lot of that overwhelm. So maybe trying to learn kind of how you react and behave when those are happening and how he and you guys can kind of figure out again with those strengths, what the best way to to speak to each other and, and handle each other in those situations might be. I love that, Joy. I'm all about a book. I think books are so helpful to relationships. Anyways. I want Julie to come to my house for a weekend and she can just do couples counseling. <laughs> yeah. It's like easier to say than do, you know? <laughs> yeah. And you want to know what the thing is too, is you, I feel like you can get so into your head with everything. Like even just the reading and everything, like you can interpret things so differently is having like that coach, having that like sort of Switzerland, having like that, that person who is neutral is like, so you just hear things so differently. So I think that that's going to be, I'm going to definitely follow up on that this afternoon. I do appreciate Maddie sharing that they kind of had the team huddle of really identifying what are you good at? What do you enjoy? Because that's what I've done with my assistant. I'll hand over tasks to her. And it's one thing if you have an assistant, you're just like, Hey, I need this done. You are the person to get this done. But I also want her to stick around for a while. And I also want her to enjoy working with me. So at some point in the process with any type of assistant that I've ever worked with for more than three or four months, I will like do a little three or four month check-in of like, okay, you've started to see my communication style. You started to see the types of tasks that I really need help with, but what do you enjoy? Because I can come up with more tasks all day long. And if I can give you more things that you're really good at and that you enjoy, it will just help us establish like a longer term working relationship. So I think that that could also be an interesting approach as well with you and your husband, Rochelle. Thanks everybody. I got some good takeaways. Have you guys really figured out Rochelle, like what the purpose of him working for you is 
Cause like at first I know when we were down in Mexico, it was just like you needed help and he was coming in to kind of offer you some support, but have you really like nailed down moving forward what his role specifically is? And, and it touches on what does he enjoy and what is he good at and things like that. But have you really nailed that down? No, mm-mm. no. I mean, I would still, still say that I'm, you know, we're both in sort of get out of a whole place, like with clients, too much work. So no, I mean that, I mean, all of this will create, you know, clarity. Here's a visual for you. This is what I felt like last Thursday before the CDC made the announcement. Like imagine being in a well and you're like a hundred feet deep in a well and you have a piece of dental floss. And that's how you, that's the only way you can get out of the well. That's how I felt for like the last four months. So when the announcement came out on Friday, it's like someone threw a ladder in the well. I feel like this is the first, and I'm sure a lot of us have felt this way. But that's like the first moment. And I really feel like what you mentioned, Julie, I feel like it will be so much less reactionary in terms of like, I, I don't think I realized the trauma of having to deal with all of our trip planning and everything and just feeling so stuck moving forward, which has to do with the whole thing. But just envisioning like what my business will look like instead of my business eating me alive. And I feel like that is there's definitely even this weekend been a lot more clarity. So no, that's, that's a very good point, Julie. Do you currently have a moment coming up maybe at the end of the summer or early fall that feels like the light at the end of the tunnel where you feel like you will reach that point of catching up and you might be able to just take a week of working on your business instead of in it and actually doing that together alongside Chris and having some of these big conversations about what his official role is and how you can two best work together. Like, do you feel like you have that light at the end of the tunnel or does it still feel really far away? No, it doesn't feel far away. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I just stopped taking new clients to sort of create that breathing room, just any new inquiries. I mean, there will be pockets. I can't say that it would be a whole week and we're taking like a couple little trips this summer, but there's definitely going to be space for that. I mean, I had to create it because it wouldn't have honestly... There are no lulls. Right. But that's the thing. We don't, we can't just wait for our business to create itself. We create it. So if that's important to you and that's what you need to figure out, then you're, you've done the right thing in, in taking some stuff off your plate so that you have that week or whatever mm-hmm. to really focus on this. Cause something I've been thinking about lately is I like when things, when there's a, a finish line and things get done and that's how I've operated in my life. And this business, I've had to really kind of learn that like, that doesn't exist. <laughs> yes, you know, you might be done with one specific trip project, but the minute that's over, you just have to continue on with the next one. And so trying to like accept this new way that that this business has to run and how that feels to me and how that affects me, but at the same time, shifting my business and, and creating it in a way that actually fulfills me and I like and works for me. But that doesn't mean doing everything I've always done. That might mean doing something different, but it's up to me to create that, not wait for it to happen for me. What if we created a finish line in our businesses? Because I'm the exact same way as you. And I have realized that that's why I've been feeling so burnt out lately is that traditionally there is the new inquiry proposal phase up to deposit And then you don't hear from that person for a few months while you're doing other things. And then there's the, okay, now we're getting ready for you to go. Like now we're doing restaurants and spa and getting your final docs ready. And for so many reasons that we're all facing, 
none of my trips have had this lull. They have all just incessantly been in my inbox for no fault of anyone's. It's just been how it's been. And I'm struggling with that finish line mentality too. And I'm almost like, I kind of feel like in July, I just don't want to plan any trips. I need a break. And so I'm like really ready to just create my own finish line and be like, July is going to be my little halfway, let's take a pause and drink some Gatorade point of the marathon. (laughs) Well, and like you deserve to enjoy your summer as well for one second, you know? That too. And it doesn't have to be July. It could be any month, right? Like July is traditionally a slow month for me anyways, because people are just off doing their thing. So it seems to make sense. But what if we just created our own finish line? I think like this is my first year really being busy. So it's hard to say that this month is a lull and this month isn't. But after this first year, having kind of a roadmap of what that might look like, knowing, okay, this month is insane and there's a lot of business and a lot of income coming that month. So that wouldn't be the month to choose. But I do think I want to not only block time off my calendar, depending on what's going on in my own life and business, if I'm traveling or or whatever, and being more intentional about that, but also potentially like choosing a month and not accepting any inquiries during that month. And just being able to take a minute and enjoy my life and take a step back and feel a little less overwhelmed. One of my favorite business coaches said to me one time, just like a very simple phrase that I try to like keep in the back of my head. What if it could be easy? Like, what if you just set up a boundary and it could be easy? What if you just said this month, like Julie Giselle, I'm not taking on business or, you know, that trip is going to go to someone else in my referral network and I'm just going to let myself take it easy. So I don't know. I like keeping that in the back of my head. What if it could be easy? Rochelle, what was your second question for Maddie only? (laughs) So my second question has to do with numbers, projecting, budgeting. And Maddie, I think, I don't know if it was you or your mom who had posted something. This was months ago. And maybe it was on, I wasn't sure if it was in the master's in travel, but it was something about an experience with a client that didn't go the way that you wanted or something turned out differently. And there was an, it was analyzed in a way, or you had done a report or something like what didn't work or what could work next time? Like, does that come from you? Does that come from your mother? Is that just a natural? And I don't know if you know what I'm referring to. It was something about one of you had a medical background or something. It's our lessons learned report. Yes. And it comes from my, I used to work in the legal industry and we would do these for our case team. And then I worked for the knowledge management sector of the firm. And their sole job was to just learn from cases, build these reports and then send them out. And my husband's military and they do this in the military in a much more intense way. And so it's it's a little bit of my mom's medical, it just kind of all is a mix. The way, sorry, what is your question about that before I dive into how we do it? Well, so it was sort of, that sort of led me to, and then you brought up a couple of times in our like think tanks and things about like projecting and numbers. And I'm not sure if that comes from you or comes from your mom and I don't like to do it at all. And that's not (laughs) great as a business owner. So I know that I need to delegate that to someone. And I don't know if that's something that my husband will be good at. That has to be part of the conversation. But I'm just, I was curious if that's something that comes naturally to either one of you. So you're just doing that within your team or you've actually hired someone to actually help you with that. Because that does, it goes, for me, it goes back to numbers, projecting, budgeting. I don't do any of that right now, which is awful. So I'm just wondering if that is something that you and your mom have done together 
or you've had to outsource that? I guess that's my question. So I definitely say this is one of the things that I am good at. I enjoy doing. It comes naturally. It comes from the background and my experience. I used to do it for our case team. The way that we have gotten to a place where we work on it now is in the beginning, we had lots of time, right? 2020, 2021, loads of time, nothing to track. Now we have no time and all the things to track. And so I, I sat down and I came up with like ideal systems and ideal trackers And the key with them is to not overcomplicate it. I don't, it's not pivot tables, it's not super fancy. I rely on colors and I get things down that I need to on paper. And then I realized as we got busier and busier, I might be good at setting it up and I might have a clear vision for what it should be, but I don't have the time to keep up with it anymore. And so our, actually our virtual assistant said, like, Hey, I see that you have these things and you're not using them. Can you show me how to use them? And I will be the one that kind of updates. She blocks an hour on my calendar every month. We have a meeting, we go through it. And I will say it is a bit of a game changer and understanding just how much I want to invest, where I want us to invest. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I would say when you start to build a team or you're adding your husband in, hiring for your gaps, you can still be the visionary behind something and then, you know, offload it or teach someone else how to do it so that you can kind of stick with it. Yeah. I agree with Maddie to keep it simple. Like I I feel like you can gain a really pretty clear understanding of your business with a few key numbers. With travel advisors, we only have a couple of forms of revenue, right? Like we have our fees that we charge. Then we have our commissions. Are there any other forms of revenue coming into your business right now, Rochelle, other than fees and commissions? No. Mm -hmm. So if every single month, if you just took a look at your, I don't know if it would be travel joy or however you keep track of your fees or however you charge them, just be like, how many, how much did I earn in fees this month? How much did I charge? How much did I earn? And how much travel did I book? Because the commission, the future commissions coming in, which are super unpredictable because they could come in next month and six months or in 18 months. It's all related to revenue. And it's generally an average of 10% when we factor in the non-commissionable components and then the really great commissions. You know, like I just, I've been tracking it for six years and it's always like 10 or 11%. So if you just track fees charged per month, travel sold per month. So $80,000 in travel was sold. So in the future, I'm going to earn approximately eight grand at some point. (laughs) But if you track that month by month by month, you can, you'll start seeing trends and you'll start seeing, oh, I earn approximately this month in commissions each month. And this is an average. And I earn approximately this much in fees. And this is an average. You can kind of start getting a sense of where your business is at. And there's going to be highs and lows, but the more you track, the more data you have, the more your average is accurate. I think it's easy to Rochelle to get like into the weeds and want to track every single thing. And I this was from our host agency. Jeremy is really smart. And he gave us a little bit of like a nugget that's like, what's going to move the needle? What's effective versus efficient? And so if you're like spending all this time tracking all these things, but they're not actually like moving your business in the direction that you want them to, you know, maybe they're not worth the time. So like Whitney said, we track three things. One is I have a Trello board that shows the dates people are traveling. So I can see the ebbs and flows. I don't have like hard numbers, but I know if I have a ton of people in July, I'm probably making a really nice commission check in September. Then we have a spreadsheet that tracks actuals. So actual commission received, actual planning fees received, and it looks at it on a monthly basis. 
in quarterly chunks, and then we see the year end. And then the third thing that we track is lead to close or lead to welcome email to call to close. And I like to see where people drop off in that pipeline, because if they're dropping off after our welcome call, I'm not doing something right. If they're dropping off after receiving our inquiry form, our inquiry form added friction and did its job. It got rid of someone who's not going to pay my fee. So it's not super complicated. I'm not like, you know what I mean? It's just what's effective in moving the needle or moving your trip forward or your business forward, I should say. Are you using Xeon to track commissions and fees or just TravelJoy? No, I'm not using TravelJoy. Okay. Xeon is something that I use to track all my commissions and my fees and my assistant does it. It's really easy to use. It's super, I mean, I actually enjoy doing it. It's just one of those things that like, it needs to be delegated. But the platform is really fun to kind of play around on. But every time a fee, like I get the confirmation from TravelJoy or however you charge a fee, they're going to, you're probably going to send you some sort of email to be like, oh, so-and-so paid. I just forward it on and I just say, add to sign on, add to sign on. And she does it. So once a month, I'll go in and just say one click and I can see all the fees I earned in that month and all the commissions that came in. Yeah. I had an appointment scheduled with them a couple of months ago just to to sort of just ask some questions with Cyan. And I just, I mean, it's a summer project for sure to get that because I honestly, and I, I mean, you've all heard it or most of you have heard it. It is just, I'm not tracking anything at all. Partly it's avoidance. Partly it's just like, I mean, if I get my invoicing done to my host agency within four months of a booking, like that's like, that's a win for me. And then I'll sit down for hours and do it. So, I mean, there's definitely some issues with, just the management of it. And it's just too much work right now, which is again, why I've just stopped taking any bookings so I can just focus on this because it is just far more reactionary than, than planning. Client base is also assistant work and is the very first thing. Client yeah. base and Scion is the first thing I gave an assistant. Right. The very first thing. So I think if you are preparing to bring someone on or if you decide that Chris is really good at that and he enjoys it, I think the overwhelming thing for me with Scion is that I wanted to go backwards and like have all the data history from the start of my business and really just like start from today and just go forward and don't do anything backwards. But those systems don't take a lot to get started and they are 1000% delegatable and should be. I'm a big believer too. And like, and maybe this is the team's background that I came from, like, there is something so special about people who have fresh eyes. And I tried to like, when I was getting to a point in our business where I was like, I know I have a vision for these systems and it's not working. I pulled in our virtual assistant and I was like, I want to empower you manage me right now. Tell me like where my gaps are. And she was like, you're way overcomplicating this. Like we need to boil this down. You need to block off an hour on your time, on your calendar, stick to that hour window so I don't know if that's helpful, but like also relying maybe on fresh eyes to help you with it too. Yeah. Well, that's the plan. That's why I have taken on hiring my own VA and had that interview because now I feel like I have that relationship established. I mean, we've already had a couple of interviews and that she's going to be the fresh eyes. So yeah, I totally agree with that. So, okay. Thanks everybody. Cool. Kim, I'm going to come directly over to you because you're here and Share with us a little bit your question and if provide any kind of background and context if you'd like. And then I'm going to hand it over to Julie because I feel like she's going to have some things to add for you. Okay. Well, I'm Kim. I joined Masters in Travel, like, I guess, not even a month ago. So 
Hi. <laughs> I am really in my first year still of travel planning. And so thanks, Maddie. <laughs> so are you. So I'm at a point where I'm, I'm busy enough for myself, but I would like to work harder or smart. No, I don't. No, I don't want to work harder. I want to work smarter. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? That's <laughs> crazy. Smarter than harder. I feel like I'm getting, oh, uh, my business name is Windward and Crown and my website is actually under under reconstruction, I'm revamping and adding some more features to it right now. So yeah, but I guess my question is in what I didn't realize when I was starting this is that I'm going to become a marketing specialist, a salesperson, a travel advisor, a planner, manager, like, so marketing, maybe not my strength, (laughs) social media, fine. I can do it, but it's always what falls off first when I get busy with actually planning trips. So I was just wondering if anybody has any insight, ideas, things that are like best practices for finding those ideal clients. Cause of all, I feel like I have a couple of those and I, I certainly don't, I, I enjoy who I'm working with. I think that there's maybe a different market that I'd like to tap into out there that I haven't reached yet, <laughs> which would be those, those bigger clients. <laughs> and I'm just, yeah, that's it. <laughs> rambling. So I'm only also in kind of like my first big year, I would say I started in 2020. And so for those first kind of six months ish, you know, nothing was really happening in terms of like travel and booking, but a lot of learning. And one thing I, I think we spend a lot of time thinking about our ideal client and what we want our business to look like. And all of that is very important. And I was thinking about this when Rochelle was talking, it's like, give yourself a little bit of grace because what you thought at the beginning or what, even what we think right now, like that's going to continue to change a little bit. And so our ideal client yesterday might not actually be who we end up wanting to work with down the road. And you have to kind of kiss all of those frogs in between or whatever, until you really figure that out. So this first year, like if you're, if you book a trip and you didn't really make as much money as you should have booked, it's okay. Like you still learned a lot. And what I have realized is as I'm getting a few bigger ticket clients, which is great, like, thank God I didn't get them six months ago because I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I, right, right. I now I'm so <laughs> much more comfortable with the process and so much more familiar with the resources out there and how I'm actually supposed to book this and how I'm really supposed to make money and how I'm supposed to utilize those partnerships on the ground. And I wouldn't have known that before. So I would have just done, potentially done those bigger ticket clients, my ideal clients, such a disservice, you know, six months ago or a year than what I would do now or what I might do in the next six months. So as much as like you want to get to those people right now, maybe asking yourself, like, am I really ready to do that? And what what do I need to maybe do or learn to get to the point where I am? ready to do that. I have a lot of other thoughts, but Maddie, do you have anything to like chime in about that? No, Julie, keep going. You are on a good roll right now. (laughs) (laughs) My next thing switches a little bit over to social media. So I would say I get 50% of my clients through people that I know, or, you know, people that know the people that I know, and then 50% through random people on social media, which I guess says to me, like I'm as much as it's, overwhelming at times. And as much as sometimes it gets pushed to the back burner, like I got to be doing something right that these people, you know, want me to plan this for them. And so I've spent a lot of time thinking about like my strategy on social media and how, 
how I get my message across and how to attract those clients. And Whitney and I have actually been talking about this a lot lately, but we're kind of switching our strategy a little bit in terms of attraction and training our clients. So the information and the types of posts and the pictures I'm putting out there and the destinations I'm focusing on week by week or month by month, I'm trying to attract the people that I want in the way that I want them. So today or this week, I might be posting about fall and winter destinations, like it's summer. So that doesn't really make sense. You want to be posting all of your on the boat and this and that, but like, those aren't the trips you want to be planning today. So you don't really want those last minute travelers. Those aren't your, your ideal clients. Your ideal clients are the people that are planning for next summer, you know? So if you want them to start thinking about Italy for summer 2023, then you should be posting about all of that stuff now. So you're not only attracting the people's budgets that you want. So obviously you're posting the types of destinations and the types of travel and styles and all of that to gain those types of clients, but you're also posting in a way that you're training your clients to be booking when you want them to book, if that makes sense. No, that does that. I, I, the whole, what you said, attraction and training. That's great. That's yeah. exactly. And I think that's probably part of the issue is you can get lost in what you're posting on social media too. And then there's different platform, you know, it's just a lot to manage, but you're right. <laughs> and I used to post like randomly, you know, I mean, not randomly, but like I had my pillars of my business. So I knew I had these six things that I wanted to talk about. And I used to like rotate between the six things. And I would just be like, well, like, I don't know what to talk about today. But I started to switch it a little bit and tell more of a story throughout the month. So like the first week would be about national parks, and then it would switch into like, things about my own state that I loved. And and then I can talk more about my story in that sense and why I love being a tourist in my own home and whatever. And then it might like the next, they like flow together to the next thing, you know? And then it's a post about why I love travel. And then it's about an upcoming trip to Italy. And then it's all about Italy, you know? And, and I'm, it takes some of the stress away because I have more to say about that one destination and about that one type of travel or that one the concept I'm trying to focus on than one post. So it gives me the opportunity to post about that for as long as I want while I'm telling that story, you know, putting a client testimonial in or whatever. But my brain feels a little bit more at ease that I like, oh, in one month, I'm talking about these four things and then I've got it as opposed to like, I got to come up with, you know, 28 different things to talk about. And I, I think again, too, like Grace, you guys, 10 years ago when social media didn't exist, People had to think about what to talk about in a newsletter once a quarter. That was it. You know what I mean? And maybe a mailing. Like they didn't have to think of something every single day. And we are, we're so, Instagram is great, but it's, it's overwhelming. And they basically tell you if you're not consistent and you're not on there every day and you're not posting engaging comment, like content, you're not going to grow and you're, no one's going to see you. And, and they, they literally don't show your stuff to people, which is like frustrating and hard. But I think if you can figure out a way that, again, helps you create the business that you want in a way that like feels a little bit better to you might be helpful. Julie, I love what you said about like considering the type of business that you're closing through your social media. Like sometimes I think it's easy to get bogged down in like posting, you know, frenzies or, you know, trying to meet quotas, like you said, to stay quote unquote relevant on social media. But I've had clients who they don't bring me a ton of money over the course of the year, but they bring me clients who I really like working with. They're easygoing. They book shortly after. 
And so I kind of transitioned away to, from like what Julie was saying earlier to having my client profiles and my segments, and I'm only talking to them to talking to people I want to work with. It's, it's not just like, you know, the 50, 65 bracket and, and that kind of thing. So I'm going to ask you some non-social media related questions. Have you, I don't mean like a client avatar, but have you really like identified the type of inquiry that you're hoping lands in your inbox in terms of the, the quality of accommodation they want to confirm, the, the level of the investment that they're looking to invest, how far in advance they're reaching out to you before they want to travel? Have you thought about what those parameters look like so that it's easily identifiable when it really lands in your inbox? Yes. I mean, I know I definitely have that ideal image, image, whatever you want to call it. An ideal inquiry. Yeah. Inquiry. Thank you. Of course, I thought I was only going to be working with like family, but I'll, I'll branch out. The harder thing, I guess, is that I'm willing to work with other people. I don't take, I don't, okay. I have my first person that I actually turned away. I'll just say it that way. (laughs) She told me she had a budget. She didn't fill out my form. She didn't submit my planning fee. She kept calling me. (laughs) I'm going to play it. I'm going to do this. I'm like, no, you're not. And I said, I'm sorry. (laughs) And so I wasn't going to refer her on to anybody either, because as we were talking about earlier, because I knew she was just not somebody that anyone would want to work with. So, Mm -hmm. but I guess to answer your question, yes, but where do I draw the line? Because right now I don't want to turn away business, but I know where I want to get to. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's a common phrase that I learned or heard for the first time when I was starting my business, that is really cliche and cringy and also so, so true. It's that the business that you take is the business that you make. Yes. And I heard it, I believed it, and I ignored it for the first two or three years mm-hmm. of my business. And I felt so lucky and so honored when anyone would reach out that I said yes to everything. And I think if you've already identified parameters, what Julie said at the beginning is 100% right that who your ideal client is and what your ideal inquiry looks like is going to ebb and flow and shift. When I was starting my business, I remember seeing another travel advisor on her website. She stated in writing that she had a minimum investment. So if you weren't spending, if you weren't investing a certain amount into a trip, don't even fill out the form. And I just, I couldn't believe, I was like, you can do that? Yeah. (laughs) Of course, I wasn't at a time in my business that I could do that. But even the thought that that was possible shocked me. And six years in, I'm now at that point where it's like, we've got to have something to work with for me to really be able to service this trip the way that I really want to be able to. So those boundaries and those parameters will ebb and flow. And so nothing that you decide now is set in stone. But I would think about a daily type of investment that is connected to the level of accommodations that you want to be booking. So I think I just did that for the first time yesterday when I was on an inquiry call and and she's like, I don't even for summer 2023. And she's like, I don't even know like what a budget should be or what we would be looking at. And I said, a very good starting point would be like a thousand dollars a day. Yeah. And then I would think about how far in advance do you want clients to reach out to you? Right. So if you feel most comfortable that they're reaching out for I guess right now, summer, fall, festive, all feel stressful. But I would kind of set those parameters. Like if you're reaching out to me less than four months in advance, I don't feel really good about it. 
And that's me. That's a personal decision. And that's me knowing my process. I don't design itineraries quickly. Like I really take my time and go in a whole lot of rabbit holes to make sure that I feel really good about what I'm designing. So that's what I know about myself. So I've kind of set that parameter that if you're reaching out to me less than that, less than three months in advance, I'm probably going to say no. And then kind of destination. I would really hone in on the destinations and the types of travel that you feel most comfortable with and that you feel really confident in planning. Because those are the types of boundaries you want to set so that then when a new inquiry lands in your inbox, you can compare. Are they in the right investment range? Are they reaching out to me in enough time that I feel confident I can turn this around? And are they reaching out about a destination that I feel really good about? And if it's no, 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 I'm going to challenge you and you tell me that you accepted that inquiry. Because it doesn't matter that you want to grow your business. Is that the direction that you want to grow your business? Probably not. Right. And the second thing that not enough people talk about, except Karine and I just constantly like shouting into anyone who will listen, is the way that you grow your business is by servicing the clients who are already paying you far above and beyond than what they ever expected. So that there is no question in their mind that they are not only coming back to you for their next trip, but they are also referring everyone they know to you. That is the foundation of most successful business. It's time. And it's also making really strategic decisions in your favor. Don't work against yourself by accepting increase. Even if you feel like your inbox is quiet for a few weeks, that next one that comes in should be evaluated as if you've got 10 that day. Not as if it's the first one in three weeks. I think if I, if you don't mind me jumping in, Whitney, I think one of the things that a lot of us who started 2020 after need to sit down and kind of reconcile is that we started in a period where not many people were traveling. And so we were hungry. I remember I was like really working my network, really trying to get people in the door. And then when it happened, you were like, oh my gosh, it's happening. It's happening. I want to take on all the things. And so now we're very much internally talking about not just do we want to take this person? Do they meet the trip requirement? Do I want to spend time with this couple or this family for the next eight months? That is a big lifestyle question. If I don't enjoy working with you, because as we've said, there's no finish line, but what if it, there could be? And then maybe that's not one we on. Yeah. And, and also I think like maybe this is just a light at the end of the tunnel for anyone else who is new as well. So I, this summer have a ton of Italy and I've been personally, but I was, you know, 21 in a backpacker sense. So like I'm familiar, but I really don't know it in this sense. And I have wanted to pull my hair out through this one major trip. This family is going to like six different places in Italy over a few weeks. And it has been a lot, but every time I sit down to have to research all the restaurants in Florence or whatever it is, I'm like, you know what, Julie, you don't have to do this again. Like one time it's going to suck, but down the road, you've got this done. And now you are so much more familiar and comfortable with this destination. So today before hopping on the call, I started an itinerary for a girl who's leaving in a couple of weeks to some of the same destinations in Italy. You guys, I'm almost done. Like it is possible and it gets better. And so yes, maybe right now, like doing Kareen and Whitney's workshop earlier, the goals workshop, you know, I did was able to kind of narrow down like, okay, here's some countries I definitely want to focus on. Maybe I don't know exactly the top two that I, you know, whatever, but I do know that if I focus on one, it does get easier. So pick, you know what I mean? And, 
and post about it and talk about it and plan those trips. And then you can continue to like expand in another way and draw in clients for these other destinations, but hit those destinations, like nail on the head for those clients. And they'll follow you to the other places that you, you know, post or whatever about plan. You know what I mean? Yeah. So just like a little light at the tunnel, it like, it does get easier. (laughs) It's very exciting when it does. I think it's actually more difficult to grow your business and to attract new clients when you are unclear about what you do and who you service. So when you are planning any destination in the world and you'll accept any new inquiry that comes in and if the budget is high, medium or low, or if it's two weeks in advance and it's a weekend getaway, or if it's six months in advance and it's a six week extravaganza, people can't figure out who you're best for. And they just feel like, oh, well, it seems like they kind of work with everyone. And that doesn't instill confidence. Like put yourself in a situation of like looking for a service provider where you are doing the research and you're deciding who to work with. I think about like wedding photographers. So I, this photography and videography for me and my personal wedding, that was the most important thing for me. So I looked up and down every single photographer that I could find. And I finally narrowed it down to like these Six or seven options are beautiful. Like they are so creative. They're so beautiful. They're so good at what they do. But these two film and photograph in a style that fits my vibe, right? These others are talented and they're really good at what they do, but it's not my vibe and it's not my style. And so that's what someone is looking for when they're looking for a travel advisor. They're trying to hone in on the, on the websites that are top-notch and on who's on social media, who can speak professionally, who has their system set up, who responds well. And then they're going to be like, okay, these six advisors are really good, but these two are experts in what I'm looking for. And they're going to reach out to you. So if we're wishy-washy, it's actually harder to grow our business if we're not clear with our audience on what we do and what we're really good at and who we service. I think to that point, and I'm going to bring it a little bit back to social media, but people buy from people they like and they connect to. So I think, you know, there's a few different people on social media talk that, that really speak to travel advisors about their social media game. And they're constantly saying like, put your face in your social media. 100%. You have to do that. Yes. They will buy from you if you you know, are the expert in, in Italy or whatever destination, some people are going to come to you for that, but other people are going to come from you because they like you. And so if you're not putting out there who you are as a person and giving them the chance to connect and relate to you and really get to know you, you're losing the people that might just come to you because they like you, you know? And then another kind of social media thing, are you and you don't have to necessarily be traveling all over the world in in the way that you want to be planning trips for people but are you showcasing and putting yourself out there in a way that is speaking to the clients that you want to be attracting so one of my my pillars of my business is like being a tourist in my own home so i want to attract people that like seek a life of fun and enjoyment and happiness on a daily basis so i do that for myself. And I talk about that and I take a Friday off and go up to the national park and go hiking. And, you know, I go out to dinner, like around here at the kinds of places I would choose for you, even if you were on a trip. And when you're traveling, are you traveling? Are you living the kind of life that is attracting the type of people you actually want to be attracting? Karine, 
What do you got for us? I just wanted to add that, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years and I'd say the first half of the years I lived by, if you're buying it, I'm selling it. And the way that I ended up learning that I could enjoy this job so much more and still make just as much or more money and my clients enjoyed it more, I enjoyed it more by being focused and letting go of fear. Because the problem is we have this fear that if we don't take everyone, the next one's not coming. And the problem is you take those and you don't have room for the ones that come that are what you want to be doing. So the trick is to find a way to overcome that fear and trust. (laughs) Take it from me, (laughs) who's lived it personally. It will come and it will be so much sweeter and you will find success so much faster if you are willing to just create your parameters and live by them and be determined to find the right clients, not just any client. So I have a kind of a, it's, it's on track with that. I have a client who I think could be, and I haven't thus far worked with anybody along this line, more like what do we call it? Like an annual, like concierge client or portfolio client or whatever. (laughs) Like a retainer. Yeah. But I haven't done that with anyone that far, but I was wondering if anyone does that. And I mean, do you have a whole different set of terms and conditions for working with people like that? And because I think it's a whole new ball game, right? When you get involved in that aspect, but she has, she has a business and she wants to. Yeah, that's Kate's cup of tea. (laughs) Oh, okay. So (laughs) Kate, what were you going to say anyways? I was just going to say, so I made a whole list of boundaries for myself this year and I have them, I have my laptop actually sits on this thing. That's also a whiteboard. And so I have it written on the whiteboard and every single time I've broken one of those rules this year, it's been an absolute nightmare. You know, I was like, we're not going to take partial trips. We took two partial trips. Both of them were just absolutely bullshit. They'd already booked the accommodation. (laughs) So we weren't getting revenue from that. Like all we were doing was activities and like transportation and like, it just has not worked out well. And there were people who, I don't know, they just weren't our people. And I didn't pick up on that in the intake, but having, if I had set that boundary, I would have protected myself from actually having wasted like quite a lot of time. One of them being a real jerk this week. Will you share with us some of the boundaries that you, you're trying to hold yourself to? Yeah. So the boundaries are, must be more than 30 days out. And that's probably going to get extended to 60 at this point the exception to that is or 120 yeah or 90 <laughs> actually 90 actually feels good right now i'm just gonna go ahead and make that change while we're live updates <laughs> must be 90 days out with retainer clients that's the exception they've paid for my services for the year if they come to me today and they want to go somewhere tomorrow like we have to work it in but that's also why creating a little bit more space for one-off requests gives me hopefully the bandwidth to be able to handle the retainer people at the service level that they deserve. So that's one, no partial trips, minimum budget of 500 per person per night. For people who aren't on retainer, we're only doing Mexico and Europe, not even the Caribbean. No Airbnb, obviously. No point usage without discussing it with us first. That specifically relates to retainer clients because they often like to throw some points in here and there. And like, I'm okay with that, but I need to know what's happening. It can't be a surprise. Also for retainer clients, no friends who are not in your contract. Like you can't just throw in everybody, you know, I mean, they can come, but they have to pay a separate fee. And that's because I want them to have skin in the game. It can't just be, oh, your friends paid for this. And now you can be as much of an asshole as you want to, because you're not actually paying for the service and you don't actually value it or understand what it is. Mm -hmm. So those are the boundaries right now. There's probably more. 
I like the boundaries. It's kind of connected to the per person per day budget, but I'm also being super, super upfront that I work with four and five star hotels. Mm-hmm. So, so if yeah, you have same. in your mind that you just needed a clean place to sleep and shower. Yeah. That's not what we do. That doesn't bring me any joy because hotels are my greatest joy. So don't take yeah. that away from me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'll explain it that way. And I'll also tell prospective clients, like, look, I just don't have the network in like a free and like lower four-star budget. Like they don't have a marketing budget to reach out to clients like me. Their marketing budget's directed towards OTAs. So like, that's the channel you should use for that. Yep. Does anyone else have any other boundaries set up that could just be interesting to throw into the mix? I think all of Kate's are good. Those are similar to what I have. One that I'm working on is that not everybody needs to be responded to right away. I can... (laughs) I can take some time. And I had someone actually, particularly with calls, like I'm a big believer in like get on the calendar. And I had someone kind of tell me that we would speak on a certain day. And I was like, very, it took a lot for me to write back and say, that's not a call day. That's actually a this day. And I'm, I'm not available, but sticking to that because otherwise we're all going to go a little crazy the next few months if we don't. That's a really good one. Thank you for reminding me about that one, Maddie. I also it is a very, very short list of who I will pick up if they call me randomly. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I actually just had that two people call me yesterday. They didn't need anything right this second. It has always really bothered me when people just call. I realized that the reason it bothers me is it's forcing, they're forcing me to work on their schedule instead of the other yeah. way around. Mm-hmm. And that like, asyn- exactly. we're so busy right now. Like asynchronous communication is the only way we can do this job. So mm-hmm. You get to set the rules of your business and how it operates too. And if people don't like it, they don't have to work with you. And it's okay. There will be more business. Like Kareem was saying, every yes is a no. Everything you say yes to that's not a great fit is a no to something that is going to be a great fit. So you just kind of have to trust. It requires so much trust, not just as a new advisor, guys, even as experienced advisors, as our businesses start to ebb and flow and, and our boundaries evolve and we implement a new boundary, we have moments of fear as well of like, if I put this new one in and am I going to piss someone off? If I'm going to turn someone away that I really would love to work with this trust that is required to be an entrepreneur. is not just at the beginning. It doesn't just magically go away when you like are doing it. It is a skill that needs to be learned forever and always to be an entrepreneur. Okay. So there's one question that is very practical and logistical that Lindsay sent to me. She said, I'm so fresh to the industry that this may not be a question that everyone benefits from, but I'm wondering about net pricing. How does it work? If a supplier offers commission or net, what is the difference and how do we decide which to choose? I don't have a good answer for this other than that I don't think it matters. The only answer that I can really think of is that if a supplier offers net or with commission, I think they're usually assuming that you're going to forward on that itinerary or that invoice directly to the client and you're not going to do anything in the middle. And so then they want the, you want the client to see the gross pricing. Whereas if you're going to take it, if you're going to take their itinerary and put it into Travify, or if you're going to take that invoice and put it into Travel Joy, and there's going to be other things added in like flights and trip insurance, and there's you are in the middle of it, then you can take the net pricing, mark it up the way that you want it, and then send the details to the client. Kate, well, what do you interpret from that question? I don't even this is just like a supplier sending a quote over and saying, do you want to net or, net or gross? Yeah, I think a lot of supply. I mean, that's something that I hear often in a sales pitch. When I meet a new supplier, they're always like, we can offer net or gross. And I'm always, I'm always wondering myself, like, does it matter? 
Yeah. It's, well, I think it matters based on your, it matters the, because it changes the way that the client pays you. If it's net, they're going to pay you directly and you're going uh-huh. to add your markup and then you'll be out of your funds, be paying. It's like you have to put their, the client funds in escrow and then you pay the supplier out of your funds. And so you're cutting your host agency out of it. So a lot of host agency contracts actually forbid that. Yeah. Okay. I don't ever want to work that way. I always tell somebody who asked that question that I want to have my commission added in. I tell them how much it is and then they give me the, I'm also terrible at math. So I just want to put the burden on them. Like tell me what the number is. I'll tell you what the percentage is. I definitely oversimplified it and was thinking like, are they just asking me what number I want? Because I can do the math. Really what they're wanting to know is how they want the payment to be facilitated. Yep. Yeah. That's a great question, Lindsay. And it's really anyone on my team, they're like, no, 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 I don't want net. I don't like number one, I don't want the liability of accepting the client payment and then paying the supplier. I want nothing to do with that. Let me just book this and you pay me my commission and that's it. Yeah. So I haven't, I'm also, I'm reading Julie and Sasha's comments that like, even when sometimes we ask for gross amounts from suppliers, they still want us to handle all the money. So I'm, I'm saying like, I want net or gross, but then I'm still following up and saying, will you accept the client's credit card and send me back commission? Like I'm asking that follow-up question because I'm not always finding that when I say net or gross, that we're on the same page. So I always feel like that follow-up question to further clarify is generally needed. I usually ask that in the first part too. Like when I'm first contacting them, like here's the client profile. Do you want to collaborate on this together? Also, what's your payment situation? Because I want to know upfront if this is something that you're expecting me to pay 10 grand for, or if you're just taking the client credit card and also what the fee is for that. Because, you know, does the client, is there, are they going to end up paying another $500 on top of that to use their credit card or should I have them do the bank transfer? But I'd rather know some of that ahead of time so I can manage some of that with the client as well and figure out if there's a way to circumvent me having to pay them and keep my commission because I don't want to work that way either. Yeah, I think when you send the brief to the client or to the supplier, you know, where you're sort of like, I've been contacted by this client. Here's what I know about them. I try to send as much information, probably more information than they're actually looking for. And then also include if it's a new supplier to me, you know, here's how I work. Does that work for you? You know, I'd like to be paid in gross. I add a 12% markup. Here's the remittance information for my host agency. The payment needs to go through them. Like just give all of it up front. And then if it doesn't work for them, no harm, no foul, but you haven't gone back and forth a million times. So I think the answer to Lindsay's question is understanding your business model. If you are set up to receive all funds from a client, meaning that if they have a $10,000 vacation, you collect $10,000 and then you transfer the 8,500 or whatever to the supplier. And if that's the way that your business model is set up and you have bank accounts to manage that and you have liability in terms and conditions to cover you for that liability, or if you want to make sure that you're always working gross credit card, client's credit card goes directly to the supplier and then you're paid a commission afterwards. I think that's the answer to to Lindsay's question is to really understand what your business model is, what liability you're willing and not willing to take on, which is another boundary that we all need to kind of consider and decide. And then when a supplier asks that saying, this is what you want, this is how you want the payments to be set up. And if they cannot provide that, advisors need to be ready to walk away and potentially seek out another supplier to service that booking. The one way that I've thought about handling that situation through travel joy is 
using the client's credit card to pay that net rate, but letting the client know that they have to pay you the commission with their credit card. So you're still not paying. And obviously it would take a conversation and an explanation for why that situation has come about like that. But that way you're still not taking their money and making the payment, you know, with your personal or work card or whatever, the money is still coming all of it directly from the client. And Whitney and Kate can maybe say more about if that would work or not, but that makes me feel a little bit better. You mean having the clients wire funds to the supplier directly in the net rate, and then you charge their credit card for the commission amount? Yeah. So the same, if they were to charge, if they were to pay gross with their credit card or they pay the, the vendor supplier, the net rate, and then they pay you the commission, both being paid with their credit card. The only times I've ever done that are with non-commissionable rentals, you know, where we've just told the clients like, you know, we're happy to help service this trip overall, but like this particular, you know, this is like a property management company that don't pay commission. That's a huge part of our, you know, revenue stream. The way I put it is just, we're going to have to charge you a 10%. We're going to have to send you an invoice separately for 10% of the cost of that to make up for our commission. And they've been fine with that, but it's definitely a conversation you need to have like upfront when you first start working with someone so that they understand that's a possibility. I don't think there's an ethical problem or like contractually, is there, I mean, would there be any concern with some suppliers of like breaking out the commission and separating it like that? But if they're the ones that want you to only pay net in the first place, but you just don't feel comfortable paying it with your credit card, like yeah. you want the clients to pay that because they're the ones that have paid for the insurance and you know, whatever, then they're still the ones paying that amount and you're getting your commission that has nothing to do with the supplier anymore because they want nothing to do with that. You're just getting it in a credit card payment from the client. Yeah. Because one thing I was thinking about earlier when Rochelle was talking about tracking and stuff was looking at, especially as a first year or a, you know, a, a newer advisor, like I said, I'm, I feel like I'm now learning the best way to make money on this job. And I'm sure if I looked back at trips at the beginning, I'd be like, wow, really missed out on, you know, on commissions there should have booked that a different way and could have earned commission or whatever. But looking at, you know, what pieces of each trip did I book that I potentially missed out on commission or did I book non-commissionable things? And is it worth potentially putting a, a policy in place? And Kate and I have talked about this a little bit, but where, you know, certain areas of the world, certain states, certain countries, like places, vendors aren't offering commission and you still have to book that kayak trip and that this trip and that trip in order to make the entire travel experience successful. But are we then missing out on all of that commission? It's, it doesn't exist, but is there, a, should we have conversations with clients and let them know like, Hey, I'm booking these things for you, but you are going to have to pay an extra 10% on those things. And then you invoice that for them to them later. Yeah. I think that as Kate said, it's something like if that situation comes up, it's really, really important to do that up front and at the beginning. And with Lindsay's question, what could be complicated is that if you were working with a supplier for the first time and you don't know that that's going to be the situation until you're all the way into the process, that's where I think it can get sticky. It's also really rare for a supplier, I think, to be like, no, we're only going to take net payments and they must come from the book. Like most suppliers are fine with that. They just want to know which way you want to do it. I've had a few that'll only do net. Same. Really? Yeah. And it's usually in Africa was where I've experienced it. Africa. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think it probably is regional just based on 
how sure. they're used to doing business. Cause if they're used to getting business through wholesalers or DMCs, like they do have, you know, all their money in escrow and then they just pay it out. Yeah. The way that we operate is so distinct from that. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's why it's important that you really just have to ask those questions up front, like, or, and what's, what's better is to try to establish and develop some relationships with suppliers that you think would be a good fit for your business model and for your style prior to the inquiry coming in. Because I have just caught myself learning some of these payment details from suppliers when we're way too far into the process for me to do anything differently. And then I feel stuck. So asking lots of these questions up front, I think is always really important. Julie and Maddie, thank you both so much for agreeing to be on the panel this month. I really enjoyed all of your insights and everything that you had to share. And thank you everyone for joining and for being here this month. I'll see you all next month. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Masters in Travel. If you loved today's conversation as much as I did, please take a moment to leave a review, subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and be sure to share this podcast with an advisor who is ready to level up their travel business. If you want more, head over to beamasterintravel.com. On our website, you'll find a free resource library for travel advisors, free community forums where you can ask questions and support your colleagues, and courses and workshops in the Academy Marketplace to support your learning and development as a business owner and as a professional travel advisor. On our website, you can also learn about the Masters in Travel community and think tank, a private community where we collaborate, strategize, and ideate together with advisors working towards similar goals and tackling similar challenges. Learn more and join our community at beamasterintravel.com.